The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories. And today, all show long, we're celebrating Labor Day. Stories about work, stories about first jobs, And stories about the people who create work, who create jobs. They don't just come from nowhere. Up next, a story from Jim Keyes. Jim was the CEO of 7-Eleven and Blockbuster, but he certainly didn't start out that way. Let's get into the story. Take it away, Jim. So, uh, wow, it's it's an interesting, uh, I think an interesting American tale. In many ways, I guess you could say I am the classic definition of the American dream because I grew up in a challenging environment. Too many children, not enough money, three-room house, six children, two parents all squeezed into this one building, literally with no running water and uh, no modern conveniences like a thermostat. We had a wood-burning stove uh, that would stop burning in the middle of the night if someone didn't get up to replenish the the wood. And uh, it would get so cold in the house that literally the galvanized buckets that we used for water. We had an outdoor pump, would freeze over, uh, and we'd have to break the ice uh, to, uh, to get to the water in the morning uh, if it wasn't cold enough to freeze the whole bucket during the night. Cleanest, freshest water in the world. Literally, that was the environment that I grew up in, which <clears throat> interestingly never occurred to me was a situation of poverty. 
until one day, I believe the uh, church came with a basket of food. And I remember asking my mother at the time, why, why are they giving us this food? And she said, well, we, we're, we need it. We're, you know, we're kind of poor. And I, I still remember trying to understand why they would think we were poor, because I didn't feel like we were poor, never did. Um, but that situation is, is tough on any family and any situation. So uh, my mother, at the time I was about five years old, was probably pretty tired of that situation. No running water, no indoor plumbing, and um, found a relationship with another person, and my dad found out about it and created quite a scene, and uh, she ended up leaving. And so she left uh, home when I was only about five years old. Uh, interestingly, they gave me the choice. Um, would you like to live with mom or dad? And apparently, I don't remember this part, but apparently I, I went in and put all of the things I owned into a little paper sack and came out and said, I'm not going to stay with either of you until you figure out what you want to do. And I went to live with my older sister who had just become, just gotten married. My mom had moved away to a trailer park. My dad was still living in this house, house without running water. Uh, so I decided to go back in and stay with my dad until one day, literally walking home from school, saw a red sign on, on the house and the red sign said condemned and I didn't know what that word was and I went to, uh, went to my grandmother and said, what, what does condemned mean? I think I was, I was probably 10 years old or 11 years old at the time. What does condemned mean? And she tried to explain it to me and it just didn't register. Why would they condemn our house? And, and it turned out that the visiting nurses who would come and take care of my dad from the, from the town went back and reported on the conditions basically being no running water and no heat. And it, it certainly wasn't a, an adequate uh, environment for someone dying of cancer. And I didn't realize he was that bad off at the time. But they ended up putting him in a VA hospital for the rest of his, for the remaining year or two of his life. And uh, I got shuffled off to uh, one of my brothers. I ended up with the with my eldest brother, uh, living with him for a while, until my father finally passed when I was 12, and, and, and I had an opportunity to go in and live with my mom at that point. So my mom, she knew that the trailer park wasn't a good environment, so uh, she moved in with someone, you know, who could better, you know, provide for us with a home and that sort of thing. And that environment was not a very healthy environment. So um, the gentleman was, bit volatile, you know, and as I became a little bit older, you know, we would have natural teenager conflict that you have over music or, you know, the length of your hair or whatever it is. Um, but his volatility got to the point that caused him to take some extreme actions. And then one, uh, in one circumstance, I was in a situation where um, he and my mom had gotten into a fight and uh, we wondered what he was going to do. He was went to the garage, we thought he was gonna leave the house, heard the car start in the garage, and I went down, went down outside, this is in the middle of winter in Massachusetts, went out to the outside of the garage and found that it was locked, and the car was running inside. And I had to kick open a, a panel of the garage and got the door unlocked finally by the time I was able to kick through a panel and unlock the door. And by the time I got the door open, I literally had to pull him from the car in the garage full of smoke uh, and he was passed out and I had to lay him down in the snow and thankfully he was uh, able to come back out of it. We moved shortly after that. <laughs> that, was, that was about enough. Uh, that triggered my mom to then find another place on her own and she got me out of that environment. But, you know, you, you think at the time 
why am I going through this? I'm 14 years old. Why should I have to deal with, you know, this sort of situation? But again, you do. You deal with it. You uh, you get through it. You get to the other side. It's not fun, but you learn from that adversity that everyone has issues, and you uh, you know you say a little prayer of gratitude that you're not you know, as volatile as that, and it makes you go forward and be thankful for what you do have, rather than sad about what you don't. In many ways, you know, you can look at it and you say, wow, those were tough times. Um, but that adversity that I dealt with made me the person I am today, gave me the confidence, gave me the strength, forced me to be self-sufficient, um, forced me to realize at a very early age that if I was going to survive, I had to do it on my own. Uh, and, and, I, and I wouldn't trade that for anything today. Looking back, I was very fortunate to have had that adversity and to come out favorably from it, which some people don't. But I think there's a huge lesson there that I, that I love to share with young people today, that uh, adversity gave me strength that others don't have the opportunity to get. And you've been listening to Jim Keyes tell the story of his youth and not an easy story. But it shaped the man he is, as he put it. Adversity made me into who I am today. And he loves telling that story to young people because it's just too easy to conceive of life in terms of being a victim. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen, but in the end, you're still in control of your own narrative, of your own history. When we return, more of Jim Keyes for our Labor Day special here on Our American Stories. Lee Habib here, the host of Our American Stories. Every day on this show, we're bringing inspiring stories from across this great country. Stories from our big cities and small towns. But we truly can't do this show without you. Our stories are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. If you love what you hear, go to OurAmericanStories.com and click the Donate button. Give a little, give a lot. Go to OurAmericanStories.com and give. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we return to Our American Stories and our Labor Day special all show long. We're honoring work, first jobs, the joy of work, and the stories of those who create work. And we also return to our story on Jim Keyes. Jim is the former CEO of 7-Eleven and Blockbuster. When we last left off, he was telling us about his childhood. He grew up without running water, in poverty, with divorced parents. His later success had a lot to do with this very upbringing. Let's return to the story. My first job, I think I made a dollar seventy-five an hour or something. It was McDonald's. McDonald's had just come to town. They were relatively new. They built one store uh, on Grafton Street in Worcester, and uh, it was a fabulous experience in so many ways. I can't say enough about it because uh, one, it was money. I needed money for school. Two, I learned very, very quickly that I was a worker. I learned self-sufficiency and at an early age that if I was gonna get by, whether it was schoolwork or a job, I had to work twice as hard as anybody else. So I put my head down and said, I'm going to be the best burger flipper that's ever been in this place and, and literally practice flipping burgers so that I'd be faster than anybody else. Uh, anyone that's ever worked at McDonald's knows that that's a cherished skill. And uh, even something as mundane as cleaning the parking lot, I would run because I knew that if I did it better than somebody else, even though it was the lowliest of tasks, or cleaning the bathrooms, if I cleaned them better than anybody else, I would get the attention of the manager who would perhaps give me a raise or give me more hours, because hours were precious. You wanted to work as many hours as you could. And so I did get their attention, and literally they rewarded me 
with the worst job in the store, which was a shift manager, the guy that had to stay and work late into the evening. But I was barely 16 years old and I was able to be a shift manager, which means they trusted me basically to manage the small late night staff and to cash out the drawers at night, counting the drawers and filling out the uh, bank statement and the uh, daily financial statement at night. There was a huge breakthrough in confidence because hard work is rewarded, trust is important, and there is virtually unlimited opportunity here because then shortly after they literally came and tried to talk me out of going to college and going instead to Hamburger University and becoming a store manager. Hamburger University is McDonald's internal training program. They send their store managers through. It's quite an advanced program. It's both academic and practical application of uh, managerial skills and store operator skills, basically to train store operators and future franchisees in the system. You know, I don't know, maybe I could have been CEO of McDonald's through that, through that uh, path, but I'm glad I took the path I did. One other story about McDonald's that was so important is that I got exposure to others in a different environment. My environment was one that you see so much in, in schools, particularly in rural areas, almost discouraging me from trying to pursue a career or a college education. We don't do that here. We go to work for the factory like our parents did, and there's nothing wrong with that. But at McDonald's, I had the opportunity to work with a couple of college students, and they told me how easy it was to you know, to get into college. Look, you can do this, we're doing it. That really gave me the confidence that college is an option for me. I would never have even considered it because my, literally my guidance counselors in school said, you can't afford college. Why would you even think about it? Don't, don't disappoint yourself. Well, meanwhile, I probably, had I applied to Harvard, I probably could have gotten a full boat scholarship given my grades and my activities, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't have that confidence. I just didn't have that exposure to how it works, how the system works. I had no choice but to pay for my own education, so I uh, worked not only at McDonald's, I would also part-time uh, driving a truck. And so I worked uh, two jobs at McDonald's at night, and then I'd be up at 4 a.m. I'd literally work till uh, the midnight shift and then close out, and then uh, 4 a.m. be there loading my truck for the next day. But the good thing about those two jobs is I was able to save enough, at least for the first year of college. Decided to apply early admission to Holy Cross because my mother had now been diagnosed with cancer, so she was ill, and I didn't know what I was gonna do in terms of being able to try to help take care of her, so I decided to go local. Throughout my career, uh, I've run into these periods of crisis or conflict or issues that occur. Uh, very first job, Gulf Oil, I thought I had made it. Being one of the seven sisters of the big oil companies, I had a fabulous job working for the chief financial officer doing merger and acquisition work and really thought that I was on my way. I, this was a great career move uh, coming out of graduate school. I had the opportunity to do this and four years into this, we made an acquisition attempt that failed and it weakened the company. Even one of the largest oil companies in the world all of a sudden was crippled, found itself in trouble because they tried to make an acquisition of city service and it failed. The stock was pummeled and we had to figure out what to do next. And right about that time, Boone Pickens, ironically, made a run on Gulf Oil. Uh, I still remember the day he came to our shareholder meeting and stood up and gave the Gordon Gecko greet his good speech in front of the uh, staid old Mellon family in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, at a shareholder meeting. And I was a kid at the time, just wide-eyed, thinking, you know, he's right. This place is fat. 
I walk around these halls and people are falling asleep every day after their three martini lunches and hiding behind the Wall Street Journal. They could make a lot more money, which is exactly what Boone was saying. Well, it turns out uh, Boone's pressure on the company caused them to merge with Chevron. So all of a sudden, here I had this great career. Now I was out in, I found myself in San Francisco with Chevron, part of the merger team. And, and the guys at Chevron were saying, Jim, we don't, we don't know how you got here or why to this position, because I was in a relatively senior role uh, on the merger team even, and I was very young at the time. And uh, they said, you're gonna have to pay your dues here at Chevron. <laughs> and that was my opportunity uh, to go to 7-Eleven. One of the gentlemen that I was working for at the time, during part of my short career at Gulf, uh, took over as CEO of Citgo, which was ironically part of city service. It was the downstream end of city service. I had spent a, a lot of my time working on city service, on the analysis for the acquisition, potential acquisition of the company. So when he took over as CEO of this, of this entity that was just acquired by the Southland Corporation, the parent company for 7-Eleven, he reached out to me and said, could you come and join? So I left Gulf and I went to the Southland Corporation slash 7-Eleven and crisis occurs again. At 7-Eleven, they took on, they did an LBO, leverage buyout of the company, it took on four and a half billion dollars of debt at 17% interest rates. Hard to imagine at the time anyone would do this. This is during the days of leverage buyout frenzy that occurred in the 1987 timeframe. Well, by 1991, 7-Eleven, the Southland Corporation was filing for Chapter 11 protection. And I thought, I'm out of a job. Now what am I gonna do? It turned out that that was the best thing that could have happened in my career. The way that people approach adversity. They either put their head down and take on the role of the victim, woe is me, or they put their head up and say, I'm gonna figure this out in chaos is opportunity. I kept my head up, I looked at the opportunity, I worked harder than I worked prior to the filing of chapter 11, and when we came out of it, I had the opportunity to be the head of strategic planning for 7-Eleven. Because of the division that I ran during uh, that LBO period and the bankruptcy period, ended up outperforming much of the rest of the company. And so I came out of it with an opportunity to lead the, to develop a new plan for the new entity emerging from bankruptcy. That then led to an opportunity to be chief financial officer. That role of chief financial officer gave me an opportunity then to be chief operating officer. So it, it was a, a, a wonderful sequence of events where I was able to work really hard and prove that at least one division of the company could excel. I was then able to develop a plan for the new entity going forward. I was able to take on the role of chief financial officer to finance that plan. And then I was ultimately able to be the chief operating officer to execute the plan and chief executive officer to then sell it to the investment community. That led to an amazing period of time. In a 10-year period, we increased same-store sales every quarter for, for nearly 10 years and had a tenfold increase in the equity value of the company from the time I was named CEO in 2000 until we sold the company in 2005. And so it ended up being a, uh, just a wonderful experience born of adversity, born of problems and crisis and challenge. And that adversity that we faced, the chaos that we faced, turned into opportunity for me both personally and professionally. And we've been listening to Jim Keyes tell the story of his life. I think the line I took away from this was when he said, I was a worker. And that's such an important thing. You'd be able to put it in that simple and very straight way. Our Labor Day special continues 
after these messages. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals, Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.